morning, everybody. Good morning. It's really good to be here. I'm loving this weather. Really loving this weather. I know it's warm, but it just feels like we're in spring, which is a great feeling. The Queenslanders are saying yes. So last time I was up on this stage, you prayed for me. If you remember a month ago, I was leaving a couple of hours after church to go on the Stantor Regional Tour, where we're doing well-being events around Tamworth, Dubbo, and down south in Pambula, near Marimbula. We had uh, incredible supernatural grace during that time, and I just have a cool testimony for you. So you prayed for me, and I shared about how one of my roles was organizing 80 to 100 buses at Tamworth. Do you remember that? And remember how my transport manager that I've been training, prepping, uh, was in hospital and pulled out? Okay, so that was the problem I was facing when I left these doors to go on tour. And the next day, as I was in Tamworth, I had reached out to a local transport company. Tamworth Council were absolutely so fantastic and so supportive. And I explained my situation and this transport company sent a guy pro bono to come and help us at the event. So he arrived on the Wednesday and he arrived with a printout of my transport plan and we ran him through the fact that we were going to load 15 buses at a time, 10 minutes apart for an hour and a half during arrivals and during departures. Just a little disclaimer here, Tamworth Council had never seen this happen before. Neither had the Trek, which is the entertainment center. So we were being told constantly that it was impossible. And my friend and I, God provided an incredible colleague for me who is very good at logistics, so I felt loved by God on that. She told me it could work and she ran me through it and we ran through the program and we ran through the plan and we were like, we think it can work. It's never been done before, but we said to council, we said to the Trek, would you just let us try? And they're like, sure, go for it. So this gentleman came and on the day, he was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. He was talking to the buses, he had them lined up, all the students, we had 4,000 students wow. arriving and they were going into the Trek to have a day of uh, incredible speakers and a lot of uh, entertainment and a lot of well-being on coming out of COVID, how to re-engage with community and how to overcome adversity in their life. So. The challenge was done by the morning. So the morning we'd gotten everyone safely into the trek, we high-fived each other, mm -hmm. and then we saw the weather report. And at the trek, the gentleman who runs the trek, his name was Robert, he's the venue manager, he comes and taps me on the shoulder and he's like, can I have a minute? And I was like, sure, you know. I walk in and he's got this radar up on his uh, screen and apparently Robert has never been wrong about the weather. He can predict the kilometers. He showed me this math equation. Now, I'm not a math person, but I respected that he tried to explain it to me and I could see that it was like a smart thing to do. So he's showing me, he's like, so if you notice here, this storm was just at this place. I calculated the kilometers an hour ago. It's moving at this speed. It's gonna hit us at lunch. I'm like, great, I need to get 4,000 students out of the trek to have their lunch. And we were dealing with a situation where at Tamworth, because of the whole COVID pandemic, uh, I guess, lockdowns and you know the LGAs and stuff, we had schools who didn't want to mix together. We were told before the event that some schools were very concerned about the morale of their students and their behavior. And so we had to really manage the lunch quite carefully. So we had like, you know, one school up this end and their rival school down this end. And we were trying to do our best to make everyone have a little, you know, 40 minute break. And now we had the weather to deal with. So I look at this weather situation and I'm thinking, okay, do I call it that we stay inside and we just keep the students in for a you know, six hour day indoors. I don't know if I like that plan. When will it hit? And he said, it's gonna hit probably around the end of lunch. I was like, okay, we're gonna risk it. Like, even if they're outdoors for 30 minutes, it's worth it. So I walk back outside of the, the room and I'm standing there at this counter with my radios on and I'm just thinking, I need to pray. And in that moment, Ricardo, the transport guy, the guy who had just come pro bono comes over and he starts talking to me and I'm answering his questions. And he's like, here's my business card from work. And he pulls out a Gideon's Bible out of his pocket. And I look at him and I was like, is that a Bible? He's like, yeah, it is. I'm like, are you a believer? He's like, yeah, I am. I said, me too. I'm like, do you want to pray? Because I have this situation. I said, I don't want to stampede. I don't want to get students out and have to stampede of them going back inside because the storm's coming. And he's like, yeah, I'll pray with you. Go for it. So I was like, okay. I was like, Lord, I just thank you that you care about our prayers and Thank you that you know the weather. And he's like, Sarah, stop. And I was like, pardon me? He's like, stop. He's like, sister, pray with authority. Pray with authority. And I was like, oh, bro, you're that kind of Christian? I can bring it. And I was like, 
remember Jesus. We pushed this brother away and I just like brought it. He was like, come on, come on. It went like 10 minutes little huddle. Anyway, we finished it and I walk away and I, I tell my team, we're going outdoors, we're sticking with the plan. Lunchtime happens and I'm just watching this black, black cloud just come and come. And I'm on the radios and my team's like, are you going to call it? Are you going to call it? I'm like, no, not yet, not yet, not yet. It gets to about 10 minutes before lunch ends and I'm like, okay, I'm calling it. Let's move the students in. We got them indoors within seven minutes, which was a record. They told us it was going to take 20. And as soon as we got them indoors, about five minutes later, it started sprinkling. But we still had the afternoon egress. So that's the departure time. So again, Ricardo, I'm like, Ricardo, let's just keep praying. He's like, I got it, don't worry, I'm on it. The afternoon comes, we're in our ponchos because the storm is hitting Tamworth currently. It's not over where we are at the trek, but it's, it's raining in some parts of Tamworth. We have 4,000 students exit. We've got the 15 buses loading. We're sending them out. We're getting hot in our ponchos because suddenly the sun comes out. We've got this black sky and the heat was, I'm talking 28 degrees heat like today. We're ripping off our ponchos, we're taking away our umbrellas, and we're just moving these students. We get all the students in the buses, they leave. Ricardo comes up to me and he's like, God is good. <laughs> and we found out later that it had hailed in Tamworth, that there were storms that were happening all around us. We get to pack up time and I walk up to the venue operators and Robert comes up to me and the other lady who was his 2IC. And Robert's like, you know, I've never been wrong about the weather before. And I was like, oh, wow. And my friend and colleagues said to him, yeah, it's almost like a miracle. <laughs> and the lady who was working with the trek, she said, yeah, we've called it every single time. And this is the first event we've been wrong. And I said, well, can I say I'm glad that you're wrong? It was perfect. So thank you so much for praying. We not only had a transport manager who came and, you know, pulled off what they were saying was impossible, we also had a fellow believer and brother in Christ who was just such a wonderful person to work with. We also had no rain. Again, with Dubbo, the same thing. We had rain circling us. We had to evacuate four students, 400 students. We had to evacuate from the tent to their um, buses and keep Forbes in your prayer because they're currently experiencing some terrible flooding. Then we made it down to Pambula. We had beautiful sunny skies. And I just felt God's supernatural grace. And I just want to say thank you to Pat and Shelby and the Beans. Like, I just felt so supported by this church family. And I'm not trying to be humble in saying that I really didn't know if I could pull off this job. It was quite a challenge for me. And again, it's not my expertise in this particular field of event management, but I had a really good team. And we just saw miracle after miracle. And I did not know and parents, you're gonna laugh at me, but I did not know you could survive on four hours of sleep a night. <laughs> but you can, and all the parents are like, yes, you can. But I could, and it was like, you know, I'm making these huge decisions, and I just had so much grace and clarity of thought. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so grateful. And just to encourage you, we did see, we've seen up to 10,000 students receive messages of hope. And I manage our social media with some friends uh, that I work with, and we're getting lots of DMs from students who are saying that, you know, they're, been in a really hopeless place, but that day really gave them some things to overcome. So, yeah, all glory to God, and yeah. thank you so much. <laughs> so, on that note, I'm going to share today about sharing your faith with others. And I just want to unpack a few things with you, and I'm going to make it fun, and I'm going to share some stories, but I'm really passionate about the good news of the gospel. I am more convinced more than ever before Every week, I feel like I'm getting more convinced on the answer that we have in Jesus yeah. and the hope that we have. And traveling to these towns, you know, Tamworth, Dubbo, and Pambula, they've been so annihilated with drought, with flooding, with mice plagues, with pandemics. And people are hurting. People are really hurting. Australia's hurting. Maybe some of you here are hurting. And online, you're hurting. It's, these are tough times. It's like we just got through the bushfires and then the pandemic hit. Then we went through the pandemic and then it's the flooding and then it's back to the flooding and it just feels like there's a lot of relationships breaking down, divorces are at an all-time high. There's a lot of uh, doom and gloom in the world and it's really easy to feel overwhelmed, it's easy to feel uh, like your capacity is being stretched. And I know for me I felt like I had reached a limit. And I always forget that that's how growth feels. I'd like to say that growth feels like, you know, warm, cuddly hugs and <laughs> hopeful, inspirational messages. But hope, hope, you know, inspires us that the best is yet to come and that there are good things on the other side of um, trials and tribulations. But growth is when you, uh, you have to reach your limit to grow. And for me, all of my uh, 
perceived breakdowns have really been my breakthroughs. So I want to talk about sharing your faith because we have something beautiful. We have something uh, authentic. We have a hope that I think we can sometimes forget as Christians just how beautiful that is. We're not without our own situations that we're dealing with. We're not without our own trials. But we can lean into a supernatural strength. We can lean into a someone who we know cares about us. And for me, I felt the care of God in a way that I hadn't for a while on this tour. And God was in the details. And I want to remind you that God is in the details. If he can create cells and he can create DNA and he can create atoms, he's in the details. He's a long-term strategist. God actually has something that he's doing in this life and in the life to come. But we need his perspective and we need to understand that what we have as Christians, the world is actually looking for. And it's good to be reminded of that because, you know, I don't want to be what I call a Mary Antoinette Christian. Stay with me on that thought. So Mary Antoinette, you know, she's the Dauphin of France. She's this privileged, wealthy royal who lived within her palace walls and was eating cake, you know, 24-7, and enjoying her luxurious life and was completely out of touch with the reality of what her people were dealing with on the day-to-day. And it's easy to judge her and think, oh, you know, how could you have been like that? But she was in a bubble. She was in her own world and she was completely naive to what was going on outside. And you know what? The French people held her accountable for that because she was someone who had an answer, who had the position to help and didn't. And I like to think of that a little bit in my experience in missions the last 20 years. You know, I always think that sometimes we're a little intimidated to share our faith, but we often don't realize we are evangelizing on things all the time. Good flights. You know, I got a $9 flight to Brisbane once. Do you think I was going to keep that to myself? I was telling everyone. You know, I got a $360 flight return to, to Hawaii. You know, I was like, hey, everyone, get on Jetstar right now and get these flights. I uh, went and saw a really good movie, told everyone about it at YWAM. Suddenly there's busloads of people going to it because I raved so hard about it. You know, like I can be the hype queen on things that I'm excited about. Maybe you do as well. I'm not overthinking okay, so how do I tell people this good news? Like, what if they don't like Jetstar? What if they don't like $9 flights? What if they don't want to go to Brisbane? You know, like, I'm not complicating good news. You are often the one telling people about this good coffee shop you went to, or this great place that you stayed on holidays, or maybe an incentive from the government that gives you a discount on your schooling. We share good news when we are genuinely convinced that it helps others. And we need to remember that that's actually not difficult, is it? It's not like you're mustering up the courage or you're trying to think about how you're going to be received when you give that news. If I'm genuinely excited about it, I don't mind if you do it or not. I'm just pumped. I'm like, guess what happened or guess what's going on? So you can actually do this. And I want to explain a little bit about maybe today God just wants to re-engage us with his heart because he has a heart for the lost. And if you are somebody who follows Jesus, if you are somebody who has made Jesus Lord of your life and you're in relationship with him, When you're following Jesus, he will always lead you to the lost because that is where God's heart is. And it's inconvenient and it's messy. And sometimes I would like to just stick with, you know, my friends and my life. But there's something in me. It's the heart of Christ in me that goes after these situations and goes after these people because it genuinely is the answer. So I'm just going to start with this slide. And I know it's quite small for you at the back, but I'm just going to read it out. I just want to remind us of God's heart today. Like we're going to kick it off with God's heart for mankind. God has proven to us from Genesis to Revelation that he is committed to relationship. He's demonstrated that he is committed to covenant relationship. That even when mankind fails on their side of the deal, on the commitment, even when we divorce God and even when we reject him, God, you know, sin does not change who God is. God's heart has always and will always be for relationship. So... John 3, 16, the classic one. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know, the Greek word for loved in this text is agape. It's love at personal cost. It's love that gives. And, you know, it's a love that's known by what it does. Perhaps you've had people who have told you that they love you, but their actions sort of deny or make it hard for you to believe that. Well, God has complete integrity in his love. He didn't just love the world, he gave. He demonstrates his love. And Jesus, Jesus takes that even further and demonstrates what does God do when he's confronted with orphans, lepers, when he's confronted with the unlovable. We get to see how God responds to sin. 
with the woman caught in the act of adultery. You know, there is not judgment for her. He doesn't dismiss the sin. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't pretend it doesn't happen. But he says, you're forgiven. Go and sin no more. And he took that sin to the cross. And so when we think about the word sin, sometimes we can get so religious. And most of my friends who aren't Christians, when they hear the word sin, they think of a list of things that Christians aren't allowed to do. You know, like, I'm not allowed to get drunk. You're not allowed to take drugs. You're not allowed to blah, blah, blah. I'm always like, guys, come on. Like, sin, in its true definition, in its biblical definition, is a failure to reach a goal. And I've talked about this before. It's chatar. It's that word, a failure to reach a goal. We have failed as humans to reach the goal. What is the goal? Be a perfect Christian? Nope. Uh, have it all together? Nope. Never sin? Actually, no. That's not the goal. The goal, according to what Jesus tells Nicodemus and what he talks about in Luke, is to love God and love others. That's the goal. Sounds simple, and yet we seem to really struggle in doing those two things. So God in his loving kindness comes and empowers us through his Holy Spirit to love the way God loves. To be patient, to be kind, to be long-suffering, to persevere, to forgive. This, for me, is the evidence of Christ at work in me because that doesn't come naturally. That's not really the first reaction when someone hurts my heart. But God gets to be made alive in me every time I get to choose to go God's way on things. So again, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Luke 24, verse 47. Now we have seen that he is indeed the saviour of the world. John 4, verse 42. That's what the Samaritan said when the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, came back and shared about her encounter with Jesus. It was so radical, her testimony. You know, she wasn't uh, a really respected person. She wasn't a credible person. And yet something about her story was so authentic and so real that Samaritans declared that they had indeed encountered someone who'd been with the Savior of the world. Wow. That's amazing, hey? So it's not about whether you're perfect. It's not about whether you can articulate your message. It's whether you've been with Jesus. It's whether you're genuinely excited about what Jesus is doing in your life. It's whether you have noticed and recognized what he is doing through you and with you. And if you have the courage to share that with others, you will when you realize it's good news. All right, continuing on. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is Paul is telling Timothy, you know, like, pleases God. He wants all men to come to the knowledge of truth. The truth teaches us to love. The truth sets us free. And the truth, according to the word of God, is a person. Truth isn't something harsh and offensive that if you face it, you're going to have a meltdown because it's just so offensive. No, the truth comes to set us free. Truth is beautiful, it's valuable. His nature is love. Lastly, but to all who believed in him, sorry, believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Isn't that beautiful? That all we have to do is receive Jesus. We have to acknowledge Jesus, who he is. And that's the message of the gospel. Gospel is just the message of Jesus. His birth, his death, his resurrection. And if you want to simplify it even further, it's relationship. It's God's heart for mankind that Hugh and I, we don't even realize this sometimes, that world peace is actually possible. It's not just some hippie movement ideal that for some reason, for decades and decades and centuries and centuries, humans in all our good effort and our good intentions and our charities and our governments have still not been able to achieve something so simple. If we all want it, why can't we get it? And I like to think, you know, about that a bit further. It's, you know, man's selfishness, it's people's decisions, it's people's own definition of right and wrong. It's sin. (laughs) It's a failure to love God and love others. But what does God do? He comes in his loving kindness and he makes a way for us to know him. And what I love is that looking at this church right now, when I look around, I see people of different personalities, educations, backgrounds, upbringings, families, opinions. And yet we have such a beautiful common ground that we can come here in true friendship and we can feel safe and we can celebrate and we can learn about God. And this is what God wants to demonstrate as evidence that we can have world peace. We have peace here today. And there might be personal conflict and there might be things that we're working through, but we're working through it. And God actually wants us to work through it and we actually can forgive and we can develop even deeper relationships with those who we've had great conflict with. Because in my experience, conflict breeds intimacy if you pursue it well. So we don't have to walk away and and shy away from those difficulties. We lean in and we grab what God has to offer and we demonstrate the kingdom of God in reality. And so when people look at the church, they're not seeing a perfect example of how to be human. They're seeing people do life with God. 
and it's powerful and I think people are looking for this example. So let's go to this next slide and get started. All right, I just want to hit some myths about evangelism. So I speak on this topic quite a lot. It was the topic I first got invited to speak in YWAM, so I would speak on it all around Australia. I remember this one time in Perth. I had a student group of about 60 students and I started on the first morning. They all knew it was gonna be evangelism week and I kid you not, I got up to start and the first four rows back were like this. It was like you could just feel the attitude of, you're not gonna make me evangelize this weekend. You know, like, nope, not me. Like, everyone who's got their hands folded right now, I'm sorry, I'm not picking on you. You're probably just comfortable. You're probably just, I sit like that sometimes as well. But there was a, there was, they literally, they were leaning back and they were like this. And I just felt this wall. Like, they just didn't want to be forced to do something they don't want to do. And it comes back to that idea that when you're genuinely excited about something, when you have a conviction that something is good news, when you can recognize even the power of a testimony, you know, testimonies are beautiful because they're true and authentic. A testimony is um, truth that has been tested. And so we don't realize that one of the beautiful ways that we can actually share our faith with others is through our testimony because no one can argue with your experience. And it's a really beautiful tool for this generation because, you know, we're in the, what is it, postmodern relative truth age. They will listen to your testimony. I've worked with an agency this year uh, that works quite a lot in suicide prevention and something they've really emphasized and even put in their constitution is that we need to engage, work with, and even provide opportunities to speak for people with lived experience in areas of hopelessness. People who know what it's like to be in that dark place and who have overcome. And so you and I, our testimony is lived experience that God has demonstrated something of himself to us. It's a personal encounter. And maybe you're not feeling like you have a testimony or you're thinking a testimony is a life story. It's not a life story, it's one story. It's something that God did in your life last week. For me, it's finding a bus manager that not only could do the job, but prayed with me about the weather. For some of you, it's gonna be the fact that you just felt overwhelmed one day and God met with you in that space. It's not so much about saying, I had this before and after and now I have no problems. I live this problem-free, Christian, perfect life and come follow Jesus. If you have enough faith, you'll never have any problems. No, <laughs> that's not the gospel. But what God tells us is that although we will face trials and challenges, our grief will turn to joy. That's what Jesus commanded and, and promised to his disciples. You know, don't give up. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I've overcome the world. And we will see God's goodness as believers. Psalm 27 talks about this, and it's a good refresher for us. We're going to see God's goodness in the land of the living. It's not just all treasures in heaven. God has goodness for us available in the here and now, in our reality, if we will just turn our attention to him even cling to him until we see it because he wants to show it to us so i'm going to give us three things this is just the whole point of the message now it's just three tools on how to share your faith with others so let's go through the first one. Oh, sorry the myth sorry this is a miss thank you you're doing so well all right so here's the myth about evangelism i have to try and prove that god exists no you don't it's a work of the spirit it's god's like loving kindness that softens hearts and brings minds to the truth of Christ. You don't have to try and convert anybody. So take that pressure off you, there's no grace for that. Your role is to preach the gospel, which we'll talk about with those three tools I just mentioned in the next slide. All right, I have to try and change minds to make someone believe in God. You know, if, I just ha if I'm just articulate enough, if I just have the answer to everything that's been, been thrown at me, if I could just explain it better, Yes, by all means, please understand how to share your faith. Please understand truths about God's word. But it's not an argument that wins someone into the kingdom. It's God's loving kindness. It's God's truth. It's him actually doing something already in their life and you drawing it out in a way that makes them realize it's God at work. All right, next. I need to have all the answers to any question I am asked. So many people are genuinely afraid that if they're on the street or if they're talking to a friend at work or... If somebody's having that faith conversation, if they get asked a question they don't know an answer to, they're gonna look foolish and they're gonna look like they don't know what they're talking about. But can I just flip it a little bit and show you a different way? You know, I have some really beautiful friends in my life and I'm really grateful for them. And sometimes people will ask me questions about my friends that I don't know the answer to. You know, I actually don't know where they were last week, I wasn't on Facebook, or I don't know what their favorite coffee is. Sometimes I'm not that aware on those kind of details. 
I have just started drinking coffee, just so you know. Oh, so I probably will pay attention. The tour did things to me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was like needing the energy. But it's, it's interesting. It's like, I, I think that there's something in that where I'm not gonna feel like a fool if you ask me what my best friend's doing today and I don't know. Or a fool if you say, oh, what was my friend doing 10 years ago? Or what's their grandparents' names? Because I know I can get back to you on that. I can say, hey, that's a good question. I don't know, I'll find out for you. So in those moments, if you do find yourself getting asked a question you don't know the answer to, just chill. Like, it's okay. You're in a relationship with God. It's not an academic test of have you memorized, you know, the entire Bible? Do you know every 66 book there is? Do you know where this scripture is? A lot of people, if they start dialoguing with you in that way, just step back and just bring your testimony in. Just bring your testimony. Bring in, you know what, I don't know, but let me tell you a time when I felt this and God did this. Yeah. That's the best thing that you can bring out. It's true, it's authentic, and it's where your confidence is going to be. And there's something I think remarkable in that where people want to hear those stories. People do, they're looking for answers. I ran a skate team for many years, and one of the boys on my team, he was only 12, and I found out later that his parents, before they came on my team, were going through a pretty difficult time. Difficult time in their marriage, difficult time with her health. And the dad, in his desperation, went to the library, this is in our city, Newcastle, went to the library and researched religions, looking for an answer that would help his family through this dark time. What did he find? He found this Japanese cult that was so strange. I remember like, they were trying to describe it to me, and I was thinking, okay, here's the Bible. <laughs> so I gave them this Bible, and I said, just take this, it's just you know the Gospels and some Psalms, have a read through this and let's have a conversation. I found out that my little 12-year-old skater Grom was asking his mum to read a chapter of the Bible every night, out loud, before he would go to bed. And the parents started coming to me and asking me questions. Now, do you think in that moment, I'm like, oh, what if I don't have all the answers? Or, oh, what if I'm bothering them with this? There are people in really dark, desperate times, and they're looking for answers. They're Googling answers. They're reaching out to life coaches. Life coaches are making a they're making billions of dollars at the moment because people need that kind of life advice. They need people speaking words of life to them. We have all that with us. We have the advocate, the Holy Spirit. We have a life manual in the Word of God that helps us tackle anything of the human experience, anything. You know, whether it's relational, financial, physical, we have a resource, an unlimited resource that isn't just information. It's empowering by God's Spirit. And I think that we don't realize people want that. They're looking for that. And we, as followers of Jesus, have the incredible um, task of making that, I guess, contextual for their life. And the best way we can do that is through sharing our story. So, evangelism is a personality type. But I'm an introvert. <laughs> hey, I'm an introvert. <laughs> and you know what? It's so ironic that God just lit a fire in my heart at 17 that put this boldness on me because I genuinely saw people who needed the Lord. And... I have friends now who um, are Christians, and it's really interesting because one of, one of the boys who came on my skate team, he bought one of his little atheist friends. It was actually John O'Collard, one of our boys, so Steve, it was pretty cool. He bought his little atheist friend along, and he didn't want to hear anything about God. And I was like, it's okay, we're just here to skate and hang out with us. You know, he started being a bit more open, a bit more open, he started to ask questions, and then we didn't see him for a long time. And when I ran into him down the street, Hunter Street, I asked him where he'd been. I said, I haven't seen you in a year. I've been calling, how's it going? He's like, oh, I just came back from a missions trip. I was like, missions trip, what? He's like, yeah, I went to Myanmar. I was like, okay, you need to sit down and tell me what happened. So he sits down, we, he had a couple, you know, like 20 minutes. And he tells me, he's like, you know what, Sarah, he's like, I used to hate God. He's like, I didn't have any Christian friends. I don't know why, but he's like, every time I saw you um, lifting your hands up in that worship time we would have, I just think he was so weird. And I was like, okay. And then he was like, but then he's like, you always were talking about this God and you were sharing these things. And he said that my heart started changing. He said, and then one day someone sat down and explained the gospel to me. He said, I'd never had it explained to me before. And I said, oh, how did you feel? And he's like, I felt angry. And I was like, why? And he's like, because no one had done it earlier. And so he actually ended up attending a local church and he went to Myanmar and now, what are we talking 11 years later, he's still in Myanmar, and he's actually translated the Bible into the first skater's Bible endorsed by the Bible Society. He's married a local lady, they run Bible studies. Myanmar is in full-blown civil war right now, and he and his wife have decided to stay and run Bible studies. 
as he sends messages to me, you know, when he sends messages on my signal, it's interesting. I hear sniper rifles going off in the background and I hear bombs exploding. Something happened to my friend David where he encountered God and it was real and it was exciting and it changed his life. So don't be so, I guess, passive and thinking, oh, someone doesn't want to hear about God and just leave it there because God wants to move and God wants to do something. And my friend David, he would catch the train to Sydney and he'd just go from carriage to carriage evangelizing. Because <laughs> he was like, people are bored, they're sitting there, I just sit, strike up a conversation and then tell them about my trip to Myanmar. He was like, Sarah, why don't you tell me evangelism was so fun? <laughs> I, was like, I thought I did, I was doing it every Saturday with you, but whatever. <laughs> All right, so evangelism only works in some countries on missions trips and definitely not in my city. Also not true. Next, evangelism success depends on the sinner's prayer. And I'm gonna hit on this pretty hard today. You know, sometimes we can have this conversation with someone and we feel so bold and so courageous and we're like, oh, surely they're going to drop to their knees and they're just going to beg to know Jesus because I'm, I'm feeling the fire right now. Like, I just feel like I'm explaining the gospel in ways I've never done before. I remember God told me to go speak to this guy and he was a gothic of a gothic, like total Marilyn Manson guy. He was wearing a Marilyn Manson shirt and I didn't want to talk to him. You know, I remember skated past him and he walked past me and God's like, go talk to him. And I was like, oh, and I hesitated, and as I turned around, he'd gone into Woolworths. And I was like, oh, too bad, you know. <laughs> and then, no kidding, I was like, oh, I missed the chance. He walked into the Woolworths doors and out the next doors. Like, it was like, he went in and God's like, nope. <laughs> Brought him back out to the car park, and he's walking back across the car park, and God's like, go talk to that guy. So I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm so filled with faith now, right? I'm like, whoa, this is, God wants me to talk to him. This is going to be huge. I run up to him. I'm like, hey, how's it going? Like, my name's Sarah, I just walked past you and I felt like God said to speak to you, but then you ran off and then you came back and I just feel like God wants to tell you that he loves you and, and he looked at me like I was a weirdo. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I thought he would be at least a little bit more accepting of those kind of things. But he just looked at me and he was like, okay, thanks. And he walked off. Two weeks later, I see him, I get on a bus. No, I'm on the bus, sorry. And he gets on the bus. And as he's paying for his ticket, he sees me and he hops off the bus. <laughs> now, you know, here I am thinking, God, I obeyed you. I stepped out. You provided the opportunity. What went wrong? What happened here? And God began to show me that, you know, we have this idea that it's all going to happen in one conversation, that it's all going to be this moment, but it's actually a journey. It's sowing seeds. It's doing what God calls us to do. Every act of obedience in the kingdom yields fruit. Yeah. We need to realize that we're not responsible for the outcome, we're responsible for the obedience. I obey and I release it to God. And I think the, the way of the kingdom, that's how it works. There's no heroes. If I have an opportunity to lead someone to Jesus, like I have recently, I always know that there has been many people who have sown seeds before. I remember having a conversation with a girl on the train once, and she was so open and you just, Happened. We just started talking about faith, and I got to pray for her mom, and I got to pray for her. And I said to her, you know, do you have any Christian friends? She's like, yeah, I do. And I was like, do they invite you to church all the time? She's like, yeah. And I said, do they tell you about Jesus all the time? She's like, yeah. And I said, okay, well, I'm here to tell you to listen to them. Like, you need to realize God's got your number, girl, and he's coming after you. And you need to pay attention that this might be a little bit more than a coincidence. But I knew that there had been other people sowing those yeah. seeds because yeah. she was so soft and open to the gospel. So in the way of the kingdom, there are no heroes. I can't claim that I did it. It's God at work, partnering with his people and us through acts of obedience, bringing that together. Okay, so here we go. Now, we're gonna do the three things. So if you're taking notes, this is it. This is the tool belt that I'm gonna give you on how to share your faith with others. And guys, it can actually be quite fun because I'm not gonna ask you to be anything you're not. Like evangelism, you don't need to change your personality. You don't need to become something that you're not comfortable with. As I said before, it's just being alert to those opportunities. It's sharing your testimony. It's offering to pray to someone. I often think it's really underrated, the gift of hospitality. Hospitality is an amazing way to share your faith. You know, inviting people around to your house for dinner, showing them that hospitality is, I think, a way that God softens people's hearts in the kingdom. Being there for someone through a difficult time, showing up for someone who's going through a divorce or going through someone they love at hospital, like hospital visits, my goodness, do them, they're so important. Like we as Christians turn up when everyone else wants to run away. Like we show up and because we're given a strength that can shine in dark times. We're not afraid of those situations because we know that God can do something beautiful. 
So in those moments, don't shy away. Don't think that evangelism is something we just do to strangers. It's sharing. It's talking about our faith. So there's three things. The first one is words, what we say. Works, how we act. Wonders, what God does. You know, words. The gospel must be preached. We need to speak out about who God is. When I go to Byron Bay with my Youth Adventures crew, we do this free uh, kind of like big barbecue for the backpackers. Byron Bay is just a little town, but they get, I think, 2 million backpackers a year. So it's high population of people coming, they're searching. Some of them are living on this really crazy budget, trying to go from job to job. So we give them food. And it's incredible how often they'll come and they're like, this is a free hamburger, or these are free pancakes. And they always ask, you know, why are you doing this? And I always tell my team, have something to say. Don't just be a nice person they met that was doing a good thing. Like, give them something to say. So my line would always be, we believe that God cares about people and wants to provide them for their needs. Yeah, that's good. Just leave that. Just leave that there. Just be genuine, but leave them something that helps them see God in a different way. I truly believe if people had the right picture of God, if people had an accurate representation of God, or when they look at Jesus, they get that. But if we actually can help people see that God's not an angry tyrant, he's not just trying to kill people, he's not trying to... You know, find other ways, ways to judge or to hate or that God is not like their father if their father was abusive. We have the incredible privilege to define an accurate representation of God to yeah. people. Yeah. And even if you're able to just say, you know what, God cares about that, let's pray. Or, hey, you know what, I'm going to pray for that and just see what God does. I've prayed for so many people and they call me and they're shocked. Like, you know how you prayed that that would happen? Well, I got a phone call the next day. Like, That's weird. And I'm like, That's God. He's real. He wants to be involved in your life, and he'll help you even if you're not a Christian. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, people don't have these ideas. They don't have any ideas about God. Works, how we act. You know, there's a difference in how we act. There's people who, you know, don't know that I don't tell people I'm a Christian. People are always asking me. Like, they, they say there's something different. Just on this tour, one of the contractors came up to me, and he was like, is this like a Christian thing? Like, you guys are all acting like Christians. And I was like, oh, it's not a Christian thing. It's actually not a Christian charity. These are not Christian events. But some people you meet may have personal faith. Some don't. We've got a whole mix of different contractors and staff. But then this guy who was um, kind of my favorite at the event, he's really sarcastic, super cynical, like a bit of a hard person to connect with. I was like, you're going to be my best friend. <laughs> so he, um, and he ended up being amazing. He was fantastic to work with. But he came up and he was like, well, you know what? He's like, it makes sense, Sarah. He's like, Christians are the only people who give an effing about people and will work as hard as they do and will give volunteer hours. And I was thinking, yep, that's probably true. And I said, well, they're moved by a different motive. But he could see that, you know? People can see through our actions that there's something different about us. So that's not a call to be perfect. That's not a call to perform. It's a call that even in our mess, even in our brokenness, even in us trying to figure out things, and even in my repentance, it's in the times that I've gone and apologized to someone that I demonstrate the best Christ-likeness mm. that they've seen. Yeah. Because who does that, you know? I remember going up to someone once and apologizing, and they were like, wow, thank you. No one's ever done that before. And I was like, well, it's the right thing to do. You know, and it's like that's demonstrating something that people don't see. And it's, it's proof, it's evidence that God is at work in my life. So it's not the perfection, it's not the performance, it's living life with God. Yeah, that's good. And then again, wonders. I cannot tell you how much uh, evangelism is a spiritual exercise. God, we're spiritual beings, and God wants to do the supernatural in people's lives. He really does. There's so many times where I've like seen God provide for someone, or you know, I remember one time my friend was on a bus. Uh, I was on the same bus, but sitting two seats ahead, and he was talking to this guy about God, and they were having this amazing faith conversation. And the guy was like, okay, well, if God is real, um, prove it to me right now. And my friend was like, well, that's not really how it works, but why don't I just ask God about this right now? And so my friend prayed and was like, okay, um, that person down six rows away is going to scratch their nose in one minute. The dude scratched his nose. <laughs> and this, this like 16-year-old kid lost their mind. Like They were like, no way, how did you know that was going to happen? He's like... I did it. I just thought I'd throw it out there and God was like, maybe this will work. So it's like, you know, it's like, there's, it's fun and it can be engaging. It's like you do evangelism with God. We step out with God. And Jesus says, like, this is really important. Jesus says that it's his harvest. 
He's like, pray for workers to go into my harvest. So as a final uh, resource tool for us, I want to put this next. I know this is small, but if you have your phones, you can look up the James Angle Scale. This was what this is. And I just wanted you to have a visual for it, but it's called Angle, E-N-G-E-L. This is a man who made this scale as a resource tool to look through the journey of faith. Like everybody's on a journey. There, there isn't anyone who just wakes up one day and instantly gets saved. There's a journey. There's, there's different steps that happen. So he's got minus 10 and plus 5. And at the very beginning of someone's journey, it's a no-God framework. Okay, So he's saying that could be where people start their, their process. So when I walk up to someone on the street or someone in my workplace or someone in my life, it's really helpful for me to look, okay, where are they in this framework? So no God framework, minus nine, an experience of emptiness. You know, I've met people recently who have this experience of emptiness and they're trying to fill it and they're trying to like self-medicate and do all these things, but they don't actually realize it's a God-shaped hole, hey? It's like something they're looking for that isn't going to be answered in that moment. We're dealing with a season of people coming out feeling disconnected. You know, people, there's, a, there's like high increase of loneliness. I know the UK just appointed a loneliness minister, somebody in government who is hired to deal with the loneliness pandemic. People aren't feeling connected and our faith is one of connection. It's one of connection with God and connection with others. So we can meet someone, engage where they're at, and maybe my role in that conversation isn't to get them to point zero where they repent and have faith in God, but I might be able to move them up a step from experience of emptiness to an awareness of Christianity. You know, or maybe I can move them to an awareness of the gospel or positive attitudes to the gospel. There's all these steps. And I love the fact that when I meet someone, I can gauge where they are on the step and then see, okay, Lord, what's, what's going to happen here? So if we can go to the next slide here. Thank you. So this, is, this picture was taken in Turkey. So in this picture is myself, a guy called John, and Natalie, who was on staff at YWAM. So we had gone to Turkey for two weeks to do a visit with an outreach team in a little town called Selçuk. So John was actually a merchant in Selçuk. He had this beautiful leather goods store. And every day, our team would go into the city to just, you know, to um, pray with people, to hand out Bibles, to minister to the locals, to serve different uh, youth and children groups. So we would always talk to John, and the Turkish people, they're very hospitable. He'd invite us in for tea, like, you know, cups of tea or coffee, and our team became friends with him. So every day they would go and sit with John, and they would talk to John, and they would um, share their faith with John, and he became a friend of ours. So Natalie and I had to leave to go back to Australia, and the team was still in Seljuk. This photo was taken on one of the main busiest streets in Istanbul, not Seljuk, so that's a flight away from Seljuk, on a Saturday. So uh, Natalie and I were flying out that night, and we were walking down the street, just having a fun little tourist you know, stopover in Istanbul, when we ran into John. I saw John and I thought, he looks familiar, but I don't know anyone in Istanbul. And John walks up to me, and as you can see, he's really happy, hey? And I was like, what's going on with you? What are you doing here? And he gives us a hug, and he's like, oh, guys, I flew in last night. I can't believe I'm running into you. And you can't see, but on his wrist, he's wearing one of those gospel bracelets. I said to him, what's this? Like, what's happening? You look so happy. He's like, you know what? He's like, last night I gave my life to Jesus. Wow. I was like, what? I was like, tell me about it. And he said, well, you know how your team's been coming every day? He's like, it's so funny because, like, for years, I keep having these teams come, and they're groups of people just like you. There's Americans, Europeans, Australians, and they all have, like, guitars, and, they, and he's like, they're all coming from this, like, one Bible campus. It's actually every outreach team we've ever sent to this little <laughs> town of Selchuk. I know that uh, YWAM Montana and YWAM Kona would send teams as well. So this, this guy was getting every outreach team that YWAM ever sent coming into his shop. And he said, you all had the same thing in common. He's like, you were happy, somehow you were all friends, even though you had different cultures, and you all spent time with me. And they would share about this faith in God. He said, and last night I just got it. He's like, I got it and I wanted it. And so I've just received Jesus and now I'm here on a work trip. This, to me, is an amazing example of the angle scale I just showed you. I'm sure, in fact, I guarantee, because I've seen it with our own teams when I used to run our centre in Newcastle, there were teams who went out and sowed, 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 and saw nothing. You know, you're having these amazing conversations and people are telling you to go away. (laughs) 
in nice ways. <laughs> you know, and you're, you're thinking, okay, well, Lord, you've told me to go to this country. I'm in complete obedience to you. Where's the power? Where's the fruit? Where's the evidence that this is actually something you want? I'm sure that those teams in Kona and those teams in Texas felt like John was going to make that step, and he didn't. And I wonder if they went home feeling like a failure. And I wondered if I could send them this picture and say, guess what, John, from that little leather merchant shop is now a believer. And he's got a Bible and he's wearing this gospel bracelet. And he's, you know, he, he never smiled like that when I met him. He was quite a, a lovely person, but he had the biggest, like his countenance had changed. And so that's what it's like. It's like in the next slide, please, Heath. It's like what um, Paul talks about where he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. You might be someone who opens people's hearts up to a curiosity about the gospel. You might be someone who gets to pray with people. You might be someone who gets the real hard hearts and you're just softening them and softening them and just showing them that they can have a good experience with a Christian. So many of my friends are like, Sarah, you're like different to other Christians. Like when I talk to them, they're not what we would call Christians. Um, they identify with different religions. And I have to tell them, you know, oh, well, a Christian's a follower of Jesus. You know, like we follow Jesus. So if you want to look at what God's really like, even with me, I can't show you that it has to be the life of Jesus. But we get to plant the seed of holus water that, and God has been making it grow. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Don't be disappointed. As I said, every act of obedience, God is making things grow. God is changing people's hearts. As we wrap up, and I know I'm pushing through this quite quickly, but I want to finish with the next slide, please, Heath. Is there one more? Perfect. Okay. I want to finish on this story. So this is in Paris. This lady is called Miel. And I actually saw her on a metro. So we were doing uh, evangelism in a city called Saint-Denis. It's a really rough city just outside of Paris. It's very North African. When you go there, it's quite confronting. Um, there's, you know, burkas. There's people cooking kebabs and trolleys. Mm. Feels like you're in another country, not France. And uh, we'd been there for a whole week. And every day we would catch the train, uh, sorry, the metro back to our little suburb, Belleville. So I was on the train. It was about, no kidding, 42 degrees. And there's no aircon on this one train. And we were just all together. My team was with me. And I noticed this girl. I saw her leaning against the pole. And she's like tired. And she was wearing an all-seeing eye bracelet. And I just felt God's spirit highlight her to me. And I was just like, oh God, what do, you want to, what do you want me to say to this girl? One of my team members started asking me a question about the night rally. Another one asked me a question. The train doors opened. She disappeared. And I was like, ah, oh, I missed it. You know, I just got distracted. And I actually felt quite bummed because I really felt like God highlighted and something was going to happen. Opportunity missed. We catched, uh, caught, sorry, another two different trains. It was quite, it was an hour and a half to get back to our um, suburb in Paris. We get back to Belleville and I'm coming up out of the metro and I walk over and I see her standing there in front of our open air event that's about to start where we preach the gospel in French, Arabic and English. And I had a stack of Bibles in my hand that I'd just been handed to and they were like, okay, we're about to start the night. And I look and I walk up to her and you can, someone snapped this photo so you can see that I'm like, what? <laughs> I walked up to her and I was like, hello, like speaking in my broken French and she eventually came to English. And I said to her, were you just on the, um, on the line too? She said, yes. And I was like, I saw you. And she's like, I saw you. I was like, really? And she's like, yeah, I was listening to you and your friends. You were talking about this night event. You were talking about faith in God. You were talking about things you'd seen during the day. And she was like, um, I don't, I said, do you live here? And she's like, no, she lives 45 minutes in the other direction outside at a place called Orly. So here she is coming from Saint-Denis to Belleville when she lives over here. I said, what made you come? And she's like, something about your friends is just, I never seen young people talk like that. And you were really excited and you mentioned that you were going to talk about God tonight and I'm, I'm here to listen. I was like, what? So I ended up giving her a Bible and we ended up talking. I got to pray with her. So that was in 2016. Next slide. This is in 2017. She actually came with me to this evangelism night and she was my interpreter. We got to hand out Bibles together. She's now a believer. She loves the Lord. And the next one, this is us in 2018, the last time I went to Paris. She met me in the town. Again, she's my interpreter, and I get to go and share with her. I haven't seen her in three years now, but we're friends. She just read my book. And I think what's really beautiful about this is this is how evangelism works. God does his thing. I say yes, and it's a step by step. And for me, I make a lot of friends. And they're people that I didn't just meet once and give a Bible to. They're people that I pray for. 
they're people that I stay in touch with over Facebook or Instagram. So I want to just break down, I guess, the stereotype or maybe the preconceived ideas we have about evangelism that sounds scary or that you think, oh, that's for the really, really crazy people or the evangelists. Because as a gift from God, we can ask, it says to eagerly desire gifts. And so you can ask God to give you gifts that will empower you to share your faith with others. And I dare say that when you get to a level where you're genuinely excited about what God's doing in your life, and when you realize you have good news that you're holding on to, people will come up to you. And I've got this thing happening at the moment where I even went out for coffee at ground floor in the mall, and my friend and I were just having our own private conversation, and this lady kept sitting closer and closer. And we're talking about what, you know, she's gone through a really hard time, my friend, and she's talking about what God's doing, I'm talking about what God's doing. And we laughed, and next minute this lady's like, ah. And I was like, she had dragged her seat right to our table. And I was like, hello. She's like, oh, that's crazy. And I was like, what's your name? And we start talking. She's actually a witch who goes to the uh, church that is in the mall that's not a church. It's actually quite a new age spiritual. Yeah, they do a lot of things there. And she was like, I just was drawn to your aura. There's just so much power here and there's so much, it's just, it's just, I just had to be here. And I was like, well, you know what? It's Jesus. And I was like, we are talking about Jesus. She's like, oh, she's like, okay. She's like, okay, well, you know, I, um, I have some things as well. And she started talking about her things. And, and I'm like thinking, I wasn't looking for this conversation. This conversation came to me and I got to share with her about God and pray with her. This will happen to you. So watch out. There's something alive in you that people, it's a light. The Bible says it's a light and it will be like moss to a flame where people come and they start asking you questions and your life will speak a difference to them. Be true, be authentic, be hospitable. Don't try and be something you're not, but be alert, be open. And even if I could invite you this week to say, okay, God, who in my life, who in my neighborhood, my workplace, maybe even my family, do you want to encourage? Do you want to speak life over? Do you want to just open up a conversation with? because God actually wants to provide you with the opportunities. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, we just thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. We thank you for the answer that we have in you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you've come to make all things new. You've come to bring peace on earth, peace with each other, peace with you, God. And Lord, I just pray right now, Father, especially for Newcastle, especially for Lake Macquarie yeah. and our neighborhoods, wherever we're from, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you have us there for a reason, that, God, we are people that are called by you to, to go into the world and make disciples, God, and to tell people about what you're like. I pray for just encounters this week with your heart. I pray, God, that, you would, that we would be sensitive to your heart, that we would have ears to hear what your spirit wants to speak to somebody. God, I ask that you would just give us courage, that we wouldn't overthink, that we wouldn't um, let fear uh, be the voice that we listen to. Lord, I pray that you would just use us, God, that we would partner with you and that we would bring hope into someone's life this week. Lord, I know there's people that are hungry for this. Show us where they are, God. Show us who they are. Bring us to a real, almost like mindfulness in your spirit, that a conversation that when it's turning into a place where we could actually offer words of advice or words of wisdom, Lord, let us be ready. Let us be willing. We just thank you, God, that you are doing something, that you're moving and it's your harvest. And God, we put our hands up, Lord, and we say, yes, we want to be a part of what you're doing. We're available, Lord Jesus. And if you're available, I just want you to just in your heart say, yeah, God, that's me. I'm ready. And you know what? Buckle up because God's going to be able to answer that prayer as he wants to. Thank you so much. Amen.